Remember from last week, and if you read through chapter 12 again, you know, after his call, he was delayed a little bit as he went from Ur to Haran. After his father died, he actually began his journey into the land that God called him to, the land of Canaan. He was there. He walked through the land, built his altars, had a good relationship with the Lord. But when the famine came, he went down to Egypt in order to get food and survive the famine. And while he was in Egypt, he didn't build any altars, and he lost a little faith. And so, afraid of Pharaoh, he told his wife to say she was his sister, which ended up with her being taken into Pharaoh's harem. But the Lord protected her, uh, sent sickness into Pharaoh's camp, and Abraham was sent away from Egypt. But he was sent away from Egypt with a bad taste in everybody's mouth because he did what he did that left Pharaoh mad at him. His testimony was not what it should have been. He'd been called to bless the nations, but instead he brought judgment to the nation of Egypt. And so he leaves very humbled and different as he leaves Egypt and returns back to the promised land. And so we pick up this story now with him returning to Egypt. And if you have your Bibles, we'll just turn to Genesis 13 because we'll be referring to it even if we don't actually read the whole thing. But hopefully you have read it by now and we'll continue to, to read it. So as he returns to Egypt or from Egypt back into the land that he was called to be in, we see today that decisions are going to be made because there's always decisions. He made the decision to go down into Egypt. That decision cost him. Actually, he made the decision at the beginning to leave home and do what the Lord told him to do. And so life is full of decisions. So we're going to talk this morning about making decisions and how to make decisions, because you will always be making a decision about something. You've already made decisions today. You got up this morning. You made the decision to get up and get here. You made the decision what to wear today. Uh, you had to pick something out. You had to put it on. Hopefully you made the decision to brush your teeth and clean up and, and get here first. So, you know, you we're making decisions all the time. Some decisions are easy. Some decisions are harder. Some decisions are right. Some decisions are wrong. Uh, but we're always making decisions. So when Abraham decided to go back to Canaan, he goes back to uh, the place he was called to be in. He goes back humbled, uh, but he goes back having learned his lesson. Because one good thing about the Lord is his grace and mercy is always extended to us so that when we do mess up, we can start again. If he was the type of God who would say, Look, I gave you a chance. I called you. You made the wrong decision. You messed up, so I'm moving on to somebody else. Where would any of us be? Because we go through life making good decisions and bad decisions. But just because you make a wrong decision or you have a problem as a result of that doesn't mean that God is finished with you yet or that he isn't going to be there anymore or he doesn't care because he always lets us begin again if we admit that what we did was wrong. If we admit we want to get back on his path and we do what he's called us to do. First John 1 John 1.9, it says, if we confess our sins, 
He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if you can admit you're wrong, you will get far with the Lord. If you stubbornly refuse to admit you're wrong and want to blame it on everybody else all the time, you're just going to have another test to teach you that that's not the way to be. But Abraham apparently learned his lesson. He realized he did the wrong thing, and so he returns back to the land that God told him to stay in in the first place. And we see now uh, what happens there. So let's look at uh, chapter 13 as it begins. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. Now you can look at that and say, well, his sojourn in Egypt actually turned out pretty good. Because even though, you know, he ran into a few obstacles, in the end, everything turned out well. Uh, Sarah was rescued, you know, he got out of there and she didn't become part of his harem. Uh, Pharaoh gave him a lot of wealth. He's got silver, he's gold, he's got more livestock. So he really leaves Egypt better off than when he went in. So you could say, well, I guess that wasn't that bad what he did. Because really the Lord's blessing was still with him and he left with a lot of wealth. But there's a big difference between the world's blessing and the Lord's blessing. And the Lord wasn't looking to see how wealthy he was by the world's standards. He wants to look at his heart and see if he's changed on the inside. And so he does come back wealthier. He does come back with the people that he left with. He actually has a few more extra people now because he was given servants as well. But he comes back, and it shows now in what he does that his heart has been changed on the inside as well. So verse 3. It says, from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and I, wherein his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he goes back to the place where he was blessed before. You know, when you get out of the will of God and you end up messing up, one of the best decisions you can make is to go back to the place where you were originally blessed. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the point where you started to lose it, where you got off track, and get back to the place where you were in good shape. Now, Abram had built that altar at Bethel. Bethel is, will always be an important place for him, and it's actually an important place throughout the whole Old Testament. But he went back to the place where he had met God. And so he builds the altar and reestablishes the relationship that he had with God because that's what's important to him. He knew his relationship had skewed off down there in Egypt. He wasn't talking to the Lord. He wasn't building altars. He wasn't doing the right thing. So he returns back to the place where he started with, the place where God had blessed him. And he begins to uh, reestablish that relationship and put it all into place. Now everything moves along. Because when you get back to the place of blessing, you're blessed. And so 
he's back to the place where God is blessing him. He has his relationship with the Lord. His family is growing. His wealth is growing. You know, they've got the livestock there. There's enough food this time. Everything's doing well. But just because you're blessed doesn't mean you're not going to have any issues. Because this time, instead of the problem being the lack of blessing, you know, he left before because there wasn't any food. There was a famine. There was a lack there. This time he's going to run into problems because of blessing. Because sometimes we think when the Lord blesses us, well, that means that life is just going to be easy after that point. I mean, who doesn't want the Lord to bless them? Who doesn't want a ministry that's bearing all kinds of fruit and doing well? Just when it seems your ministry is doing well is when problems tend to come in. Because blessing brings problems as well. And so now he's going to have a problem because they have too much. And it's going to cause a problem between him and his nephew Lot. We will always have problems. As, as you read the story, you see one of the concerns Abraham always had was the world is watching what we do. Now, the world isn't worried because we have problems. Everybody's got problems. They've got problems, too. It doesn't bother your testimony for the world to know you have problems. What they're looking for is how you handle the problems. Do you handle the problem just the way they do? Do you get mad at everybody? Uh, do you have a fit about everything? You know, do you walk off and you know, leave the place of blessing? Do you get mad at God? Do you get mad at God's people? You go change churches 18 times because nothing is really the way you want it? What do you do when you have a problem versus what does God want you to do? And the world is watching because if you act just like they do, then why would they want to come to know Christ as their Savior? You know, what's the difference? If you, if you act the way they do, why would you need Christ? What we're trying to show is that having Christ in our life makes us different. We react different. We do, diff we do things differently than the world does. And so that's what Abraham understands. And so now when he runs into the conflict with Lot, he, he's going to take that position while Lot takes a very different one. Now, if you remember just quick on our map from last time, he went down to Egypt, and now he's back, back to Hebron, up to Shechem, back to the area here, um, right in here, where he's pretty much makes his home, even though he keeps moving around, because that's where the Lord had blessed him, and that's where he returns to. So now that problems come, the problems show really what's in your heart because everything that's in your heart eventually comes out of your mouth. This is what James talked about in, in chapter 4. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you did not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, James is saying whenever you've got a problem with somebody, whenever a fight comes up, whenever a quarrel comes, whenever there's a problem with another person, something's wrong on the inside. Somebody's heart is off. Might be you, might be the other person, but somebody's going in the wrong direction. 
because he says whenever you've got a quarrel, whenever you've got a fight, somebody's desire is wrong. And we begin to see that now in this story with Abraham and Lot as to what's happening on the inside, the desires that are there, and how the desire that's in their heart actually makes them choose and make decisions based on what's important to them. And you always make decisions based on what's important to you, and what's important to you shows really what's in your heart. So let's go to, we'll just read it in chapter 5 first, and then we'll go on. It says, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. It's not the, is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived along, among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. What's in their heart? How are decisions made? This little clip from the movie, I think, shows very well what's in the heart of each one of them as they begin to make decisions uh, about the quarrel that's happening between them. Well, at least it will if I turn it on. Okay. It's right there. Why isn't it working? water our herds here have you lost your minds we are one family the water is for all of us i am ashamed of you all of you and i hope that you are ashamed of yourselves i said one of us will not solve problems are the pastures beyond that river are overgrazed and turning brown. If we do not leave enough grass, the spring rains will wash away the soil. Then I must move my herds. Move your herds? Uncle, I prefer to keep what's yours and what's mine apart. If they're mixed, it makes the counting more difficult. Counting? Oh, yes, of course. Of 
counting is important. There isn't enough water here for all our herds. This part of the land is too small for both of us. With a recycled lot, by dividing our people, we grow weaker. Well, of course, you are free to choose. If you wish to go to the right, I will go to the left. If you choose the left, I will go to the right. Beyond that hill, there are green pastures, along a river called the Jordan. And there are cities. I can go there to trade wool and skins. But those merchants come here to trade with us. Yes, and they pay us less. Whereas if I make the journey to them, then I can get a better price. Price? A better price? Oh, yes. <laughs> of course. Price is important. Well, so be it, you Go then. I will miss you. I hope it brings you what you want. But be cautious. I have seen many cities, some better, some worse. In none, however, have I felt a sense of fulfillment. So keep your people outside the gates. Thank you, Uncle. Gather the herds! We're going! Hey! I thought that captured pretty well what was going on inside each one of them. I hope you caught it. Because they have a very different outlook on life. And the way you view the future, the way you view what you want out of life, determines how you make decisions. Now, Abraham always made decisions based on what the Lord wanted him to do. He was never concerned with the status and position of this world. In fact, uh, one of the things that the New Testament says about Abram was that he was always looking for a city, a city, a holy city, whose builder and maker was God. But he wasn't looking for a city that was in the world at that time. He was looking to be where God wanted him to be and have what he wanted. So he was never concerned with the status or position of this world. He wasn't concerned with possessions. Now you could say, well, it's easy for him not to be concerned about possessions because he's wealthy. He's got everything he needs. But as you see, actually, the more you have, the more responsibility you have, too. You have to take care of all those possessions. He had possessions because the Lord blessed him. And then the Lord expected him to use his possessions for the Lord. He didn't accumulate a lot of herds and a lot of servants and everything just so he could be wealthy. In fact, you never read about Abraham talking about being wealthy or worrying about it. He understood that the Lord had blessed him so that he could bless others. Now, the Lord will always bless some people financially, bless them with what the world's wealth is, but not so that they can say, look how wealthy I am and look how much I have. But he blesses them so that you can be a blessing to others. And Abraham's called to be a blessing to others. And with all that he has, he will be able to bless others. And Abraham's not worried about the future. He doesn't have to take care 
of what's going to happen down the road because he knows the future is already in the Lord's hands. All he has to do is live day to day doing what the Lord has called him to do. And the Lord will take care of what the future is going to hold. So he just has to be in relationship with the Lord, build his altars, do what he's supposed to do, you know, hang on in faith to the promise that God has given to him and live every day knowing that the Lord is taking him in the right direction. Now, that doesn't mean every day he sits around waiting for the Lord to do something. He knows what the Lord wants him to do. And so in the meantime, he's just doing it. He has all this wealth. He has to take care of it. They're feeding everybody. They're watering the herds. They're doing what they need to do. They move around because they move the herds, and also the Lord has him move. But he isn't concerned or worried about what the future holds. You just get the sense that if God took everything away from Abraham, he'd be okay too. If he's reduced to just him and Sarah and nobody as a servant and no herds, he'll be all right. Because his focus is not on what the world has to offer. Lot, on the other hand, is just the opposite. There's no instance recorded in the Bible where Lot ever built an altar. You don't see Lot interested in really having a relationship with the Lord. He has a relationship with Abram, and because of that, he's aware of the Lord and likes the blessings of the Lord, and he wants to be where the Lord is, but he doesn't seem to really want a relationship with the Lord. You know anybody in church like that? People that they come to church... You know, they're always there every week. Their families come to church. They've been raised in the faith. But they really don't care if they have a relationship with the Lord or not. They don't spend time in the Word. They don't spend time in prayer. Coming to church is haphazard. You know, they'll come uh, most of the time. But, you know, if they got something else to do, they often do that too. There's no real commitment to anything. They just are sort of hangers-on. They want the blessing of the Lord. They would love it if the Lord blessed them. But if that means a lot of responsibility, well then, you know, we don't want to get too far into it. We, lo- we like to, you know, be friends with the world as well. And that's the way Lot was. He, he watched Abraham build the altars. He, he watched him talk to the Lord. But he himself never really established a relationship of his own with the Lord. And so he became much more concerned about what the world had to offer. In fact, it says Egypt was what he was looking for. Something about being in Egypt changed Lot. He left, you know, the Ur of the Chaldees with Abraham, and he was walking with Abraham pretty well till they went down to Egypt. And I guess when he got a taste of what Egypt had to offer, because Egypt at the time was the wealthiest country, he wanted what the world had to offer. He wanted the possessions. He wanted the status. He wanted everything that he could have in this life rather than waiting for what he could have when the Lord gave it to him. He was much more interested in being wealthy, in having status, He knew with all his wealth as he moved into the cities that he would actually be recognized as somebody important. And so he seemed to like that. He wanted 
that kind of status. He wanted to be an important person. Because you'll see him later in the story actually being an important person in the city, though they never really accepted him. He wants the possessions. He wants to make more money. He wants to be somebody that is somebody in this world. But he prepares for his own future. And the problem with that is you don't hold the future in your hands. So when you can make all the preparations you want for your future, but you don't know what the future holds. And that's the problem with the future. It's in the future. And so you never know what's going to happen. And you may think you have everything all planned out, only to find you didn't think of everything. And now something happens, and you're just stuck because you didn't plan for it. Lot's heart is on the world. And so he wants what the world has to offer. And one of the main differences between Lot and Abraham is Lot's eyes are not on a heavenly city. They're on the world city. And Lot really doesn't care about what's going to happen to his family. See, Abraham is interested in his descendants. Now, he doesn't have any yet, but he knows the Lord has promised them to him, so his future generations are important to him. So Abraham wants to stay in the will of God because he knows his future generations depend on that. When you get focused on the world, you're not as interested in your future generations. Then you have more the attitude, well, they can take care of themselves. They're going to make their own decisions anyway, so just let them, you know, make the decisions they want. And, you know, we don't make decisions based on what's best for our families anymore. And so I've seen a lot of young couples particularly, they'll be offered some job that will take them out of here or take them to a place where they will be very wealthy, but they will lose the connections to their entire family because they will move away. They will move away from everybody they know. Now, sometimes that's a good thing because Abraham obviously left his family because that's where the Lord wants you to be. But sometimes they're not moving because that's where the Lord wants them to be. They're moving because they're moving up the ladder, and that's the status of, of how to get there. It's the heart that makes a difference, not actually the decision that gets made. If your desire is to move up the ladder, then you're going to move it up and you don't care what happens to the people around you. You just expect them to move with you. But it may or may not be a good thing. A lot of people see work as so necessary. I see it in a lot of women. They will leave little babies to go back to work. Sometimes it's a good thing because they have to do it. But other times, it's just simply a status thing to keep that job, to keep that future, because you don't want to lose uh, those days to retirement, or you don't want to lose something. And so you won't make decisions based on what's best for the family. You make decisions based on what's best for you. Lot made decisions based on what's best for him. And in the end, he lost everything he had. Because when you move out of the will of God, you move out of the realms of blessing. And so you can get focused on what this world has to offer and this world has to offer a lot. But if that's where your focus is, you might find you'll get everything you want if you're good at it. 
But just because you get it doesn't mean it's going to bring you the satisfaction that you desire. Some people will spend their whole life trying to get and never really achieve it and then just get frustrated. Other people achieve it only to find out it wasn't what they wanted. And so then they have to move on to something else. Because the only real satisfaction comes with knowing that you're doing what the Lord has called you to do. And if you're not doing that, it doesn't matter how much success you have in this world, you're simply not going to be where you need to be. And so Lot wants the success of this world, but he will find very quickly that it hasn't given him what he thought he wanted, and he's going to lose most of what's important. Because what's important to the Lord is not material possessions, it's people. And so having people connected to Jesus Christ is what's important. So first of all, you have to connect yourself to Jesus Christ. If you're going to have a a future that's eternal, you have to have your own relationship. You have to connect your family to Jesus Christ so that from one generation to the next, they know who their Savior is. And then you begin to move out and you connect other people to Jesus Christ. You witness to other people so that they can know the blessing that comes from knowing him too. Because when you leave this world, what are you taking with you? None of the houses, none of the clothes, none of the wealth, none of the cars, none of the things that you buy in this world are you taking with you when you die. But you will take people with you. Because if you've connected someone to Jesus Christ and they have eternal life, then we're going to see each other again. We're going to be together for all of eternity. So you help take people to heaven, but you're not taking anything else. Like Job said, you came into the world with nothing, you're leaving with nothing. And what you leave behind, you are someone else is just going to spend it. And they may spend it well or not, but is it they don't care. They're just glad you left it to them. Now they don't have to work as hard. But when you get focused on the things of this world, you're usually going to notice it because you quarrel. Just like James said, what starts quarrels and fights among you? Your desires are wrong. And when you start fighting with somebody, you get offended with somebody, you've got to fuss with somebody, somewhere there's something wrong in the heart. I can't tell you how many people fight over money. Someone will be left something in a will, and they'll think it's unfair because their brother or sister got something they didn't get. They'll go to the lawyers. They will spend all their money on the attorneys. The attorneys will become wealthy. They will spend $10,000 to keep their brother from getting five. You know, uh, They would be better off letting them have it. It would be, they would in the end have more. But that's not the point because that's not the principle is the point. It's the principle of the thing. They don't deserve it. You know, they've got all their issues about why they want to fight about it. And they'll fight to the death over a few thousand dollars. You want to go, that shows what's in your heart. Because what difference does it make if you get anything or not? That's what Paul would say. Why do you even go to court? What do you care what this world has to offer? What's the 
message you're giving to the world. The message to the world is you care about what's in this world, just like they do. So how are you different? What they will notice is when you say, like Abraham said, I don't care what you do. You want to go to the right, you go to the right. You want to go left, you go to the left, I'll go the other way. How much better would you be say, hey, you got 5,000 in inheritance, I got two, take my two, have it all, take all seven. How many of you would say that? Not so many. <laughs> but that's the kind of attitude he's talking about. He says, what do you care if you get a few thousand? What do you care what you get? Let it, it's just stuff. It's stuff you're not going to take with you anyway. It's better to have peace. It's better not to fight. But we fight anyway because we fight for what we think is important. And whatever you're fighting with somebody about, you are showing what's important to you. Now, what you should be fighting about is if they're involved in sin. If they're involved in sin and they're learning, losing eternal life, you need to fight for them. You need to tell them real quick they're headed in the wrong direction and you need to do whatever you can to keep them on the right path. But don't fight over stuff or what the world has to offer. So many people raise their children to be successful in this world and could care less about success in the kingdom of God. So they'll get all nutsy about what college they're going to and what school they're in and what their future's going to be and never bring them to church. When I was teaching school, parent-teacher conferences were always a trip because you could really tell what was important to a parent. And some of them were really over the top about worldly success. They would just go crazy if their kid wasn't getting top grades and going to make it into some big university. And you're like, look, I'm just grading what they did. This is what they did. And so that's not A quality. But you're going to make this kid crazy trying to be what you want him to be when that's not where they are. Now, I taught math. I could tell real quick in math who's good at it and who's not. Most are not. Let's put that way right off the bat. You already know that because most of you are not. Those that are good at it are good at it. It's a gift. I can't make your child good at it. Wonderful teacher that I am. I can teach them how to do it, and if they're a good student, they can do it. But you can't turn them into an engineer if that's not their gifting. But if you want them successful so they, oh, they've got to be, they, they can do this, and if they're not learning it, you're just not teaching it right. Say, so, no, I'm teaching it right. <laughs> they're not gifted that way, but that doesn't mean they can't do it, but they're not, they're not going to be a math person. So you just give it up, you know. They're going to do something else. And if that something else isn't what they consider successful, you feel sorry for the kid because he wants to be a plumber, but they want him to be a lawyer. You know, it's uh, both noble professions, but you've got a status thing going on, and you push him, and you push him to college, and a lot of them shouldn't even be there because that's not their gifting. They should be doing something else. But it shows what's in your heart. And then if you say something, you know, like, you know, relax on that. The future's in God's hands. Have they been to the youth meeting this week? Well, they don't have time for, you know, they're in sports or they're off, you know, doing whatever because they got to get that resume built up for college. Well, they may make it to college, but you'll lose them in the end. 
because you haven't established habits of coming to church. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, they're just not where they need to be spiritually because they sense none of that's important to you. It's worldly success that's important. And so a lot of parents don't care who their child marries as long as they marry well. Whether they're Christian or not, it's kind of irrelevant as long as they marry with status. And that's Lot's point of view. But it's the point of view that causes us a lot of trouble because it's not God's point of view. When you're called, and we are all called, we have a purpose in this life that affects other people. And so it's not about what the world has to offer. It's about what God wants us to do. So when it's time to make a decision, make sure you understand how is this going to affect what God has called me to do? And if it's really the right relationship you have with God, you know you're making the right decision. But if your relationship with the Lord isn't what it ought to be, you're going to go off doing what you think is the right thing and run into trouble. Because Lot didn't build an altar, he didn't have a relationship with the Lord. He really made decisions based on what he wanted to do and what the world had to offer. But Abraham had a very different outlook. He wanted only to please the Lord. And in pleasing the Lord, he was blessed beyond measure. And he would find through the ups and downs of life, the Lord never left him. But you could really see the difference in the heart of the two people. Abraham lived for the Lord. Lot lived for the world. And the decisions they made definitely affected what their calling was all about. Because every decision you make affects your future. For Lot, you see it as you read through the, uh, this chapter and the next one, you see how Lot moved. Because sin doesn't start off terrible. It sort of snares you and grows over time. And before long, you're caught before you even recognized that what you were doing was wrong. So when he's first making a decision, all he's looking, he's just looking towards where he wants to go. He saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. He said, that looks good. You know, there's enough place there for our herds to be well-watered and eat well. There wasn't anything wrong with that decision. It isn't that there wasn't enough water there. He shouldn't have put the cows there. But it's showing what's in his heart that that's the easier life. There's the well-watered plains, and he looked towards it. But then over time, as you begin reading the story, now he moves towards it. He didn't just look at it. He moved towards it. So he moved towards the east. He got in, in a little bit closer to those well-watered plains, and he stayed there for a little while. But then being close to the well-watered plains in the east, that wasn't enough after a while, too. Now he may move closer to the city, move closer to Sodom. It says he pitched his tents outside of Sodom. So he kept moving closer to really what his heart wanted in the first place. Now is to be in that city with status. And then when you read chapter 14, he's actually in the city. He moved on in. So Lot got tired of living in tents. Lot got tired of moving around. He wanted what the city had to offer, and eventually he gets there. Because sin, if you understood where sin was taking you at the beginning, you wouldn't get involved in it. Sin always leads to death. 
but we don't believe that. Yes, we can see the end result of death, you know, when people get really involved in things, but not at the beginning. Because at the beginning, it always looks good. We wouldn't get involved in sin if it didn't look good at the beginning. But once it gets you, it traps you. And then the progression is always down. It's always on the way to death. Some get there faster than others, but that's always where it's going. Sin will never bless you, and sin will never get you what you want. It just sucks you in deeper and deeper and deeper to problems, problems, problems. And so while the well-watered plains look good at the beginning, it just kept sucking them in closer to that city that was a wicked city and would eventually be his destruction. But he couldn't see it because his heart didn't want to. And so whenever you get involved in sin, you may think, oh, it's just a little thing. It's not a big deal. What difference does it make, you know, where I live or what I do? Or, you know, it's not a big deal to do this. It won't be a big deal at the beginning. And it'll actually be fun at the beginning. And it'll look good to everybody else. But sin never stops. It just keeps growing. And pretty soon... It sucked you in so bad, it'll only be the grace of God that gets you out of it. Just look at our country today and the progression of sin over the last, say, 50 years. It started off slow. Wasn't a big deal. In fact, it really sounded good 50, 60 years ago. You know, we should ease up on those divorce laws. Because, you know, there's a lot of people stuck in marriages that they shouldn't be in. They were young. They did, made bad decisions. And now they're just living in a mess. So it would be easier if, if it wasn't so hard to divorce somebody. So let's just ease up on those laws. And they did. They made no fault. They made it so you didn't even have to have a reason to divorce. You just could do it. But then the family began to be affected. Oh, it was going to be good for the children not to watch their parents fight. It will be good and more peaceful for the children if they grow up without all that stress. But then the children grew up, and that's not what they said. They didn't like the fact that their parents divorced. They didn't like the upset in the house. But now they took it a step farther. They didn't get married at all. They just thought they'd live together. They just thought they'd have sex whenever they wanted to, with anyone they wanted to, wherever they wanted to do it. But their children now have no structure at all. And we're reaping what we've sowed. We sowed the wind. We're reaping the whirlwind. Because now, along with the dysfunction of the families, the crime rate is soaring. Taxes are out of control because we can't keep up with the prison system, we can't keep up with the welfare system, we can't keep up with anything because there's just too much of it. Sin, sexual sin, has just gone way off the charts. What we're accepting now, I don't even think 50 years ago we even knew what the, half this stuff was. Nobody talked about it, nobody knew it. As we continue to tell God we're not doing it his way, I mean, we're to the point now, we don't even believe the basics. When the Lord said, 
Male and female, he created them, and that's what it is. We're going, no, no, there's a continuum now. There's 84 different genders you can be at the moment. And you're like, what, what, when did we get here? What happened to the, why did we get here? How did this even become something we're talking about? Because sin just multiplies and goes. And you see the destruction. We're bombing each other. We just had two ballos bombs yesterday. We're blowing each other up. We're shooting each other. We're killing each other. Suicide rates skyrocketed because sin leads to death. It always has and it always will. And we thought with all the freedom we'd make society better, we've made it worse. And the only answer is to get back to what the Lord says he's going to bless and what he's going to do. Is that you? <laughs> Who's calling her? I'm here. <laughs> it's my mother. <laughs> anyway, you tell me later who it is. Yeah, it's just it's a robocall, yeah. Not anyone in the family, no, no big deal. <laughs> so anyway... As you see how Lot progressed towards his destruction, when you follow the desires of your heart and they're not godly, it eventually leads to your destruction as well. Abraham, who went a totally different way, found a totally different future. So let's go back to chapter 13 and just read the end of it. As we see, after Lot made his decision and left, what the Lord did with Abraham. So chapter 13, let's start in verse 14. It says, The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. See, Abraham let the Lord lift up his eyes. When you read this story about Lot, it said, Lot lifted up his eyes. And he saw the plains of Jordan. In other words, he saw what he wanted. Abram didn't lift up his own eyes. He let the Lord lift up his eyes. In other words, he wanted to see what the Lord had for him, for his future. And when he let the Lord lift up his eyes, he found out the Lord could do what the world could never do. Because he just didn't see a few cities that he would give it. He was given all the land. The Lord said, look as far as you can see, from the east to the west, you know, from the north to the south, I'm giving all of this to you. Lot thought he was getting a lot because he was going to get near those cities and he'd be somebody in that city. But the city wasn't going to last long. Abraham was going to get not only the city, he was going to get all the cities. He was going to get every city in the place plus all the Suburbs plus all the land. He was getting it all. Because when the Lord blesses, you can't outbless the Lord. The Lord can't give you what the Lord's, the world can't give you what the Lord's going to give you. His blessing doesn't look like the world's blessings all the time, but it's a better blessing. 
And so Abraham is going to get all the land. And he's also going to have an inheritance. See, Lot will lose his family. They won't make it through the sin of Sodom. Even the ones that do make it don't sin after that. But Abraham's going to have an eternal inheritance. Not only are his children going to know the Lord, but his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and actually, you're blessed because of Abraham, because we're all considered Abraham's offspring today. Anyone who loves the Lord and calls on the name of the Lord is considered a descendant of Abraham today. The New Covenant brought that in, the Gentiles as well. The whole world was going to be blessed because of Abraham. Now, that's really a blessing. It's one thing, uh, you know, to have enough to eat while you're here. It's another to affect every generation for the next 6,000 years. I mean, that's really, a, that's really a, a legacy. So he has a legacy that only God could give him. Doesn't mean all his descendants are perfect and they never had a problem and they all just love the Lord so much that, you know, they went through the land just great. They all had their issues. They all had to learn the Lord for themselves. But the Lord was faithful, always called them, always was there for them, always in relationship with them, and always showed mercy and grace to him. And we are here because of that as well. Abraham kept his feet moving, always going forward. Lot got to the city and he stopped. Because when he got to that city, he got what he wanted. And so he stopped. But when you follow the Lord, you don't stop. You never stop. You just go in different directions. You're going to do different things. But he's always going to keep you moving because he's always got something for you to do. And so if you're connected to him, you never just sit down and say, I'm done. You know, I've done everything God called me to do, so now I'm just going to sit back and let everybody else do it. The roles change. Different generations come up. They do different things. But you don't stop. You keep moving. Abraham kept moving till the day he died. He walked all over that land and claimed it. And you should be walking all over people and claiming them for the Lord. Because that's the legacy the Lord has given us. If you sit down and say, hey, there's no hope for them. And I'm tired of talking to them, and I've had enough, and, you know, nobody's ever going to change anyway, and so why even bother? Your heart's off somewhere. You're making the wrong decision because you never know what's going to change them. You don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing in their life. And the Holy Spirit can grab people and bring them in ways that we could never do. You need to pray for them. You need to be there when they're ready. You need to just do what the Lord has called you to do. And if you stay focused on what that is, you will find that blessing comes. Might not be the wealth of this world, but it could be. Might not be doing what you thought you wanted to do, though it could be. But it is doing what the Lord wants you to do. And in making decisions, every decision will always be made on where your heart is. If your heart is to do the best you can for the Lord, you will do the best you can. Now, that doesn't mean that every decision you make is going to be perfect and right and 
you know, you're never going to have an issue because, you know, the Lord is just such going to bless you. He's always testing us, and we always have to make sure we understand what it is he wants us to do. But if our heart is there, he is faithful to us, and he will guide and direct us. It's when we think we know more than God that we run into trouble. When we think we can bless ourselves or we know what we want. Don't hang on to possessions. If the Lord called you today somewhere and you had to leave your home, could you sell your house today? Are you so connected to it you would just die? You know, I know people that the mere thought of having to give up their house that they've worked so hard for uh, would send them all off the edge. You know, they don't have the faith for that. Do you have the faith to get involved in a ministry in the church that you've never been involved in before? Or do you think, eh, you know, somebody I said, oh, better than that, they don't want me. You know, I don't know that I could do that. You know, we're in mission month here this, this month. There's so many opportunities right now to get involved with people. Uh, the bigger problem is deciding what not to do. Because we could keep you busy, you know, 60 hours a day if we, if we tried. Everybody needs help. So if you're not doing something, your heart's in the wrong place. Because there's plenty to do. Don't say, eh, I'm too old, I'm too this, I'm too that. You're not too anything. If your heart's in the right place, they'll find something for you to do. You don't have to do what, you know, the 20 old people that have all kinds of energy can do. <laughs> but you can do something because we always keep moving. And the Lord always wants you to keep working for him. Doesn't mean you can't take a vacation or do anything, but it just means your heart has to be focused on him. So keep your heart focused and the decisions you make will end up blessed. If your heart is focused on what this world has to offer, in the end you'll lose everything you have. Abraham kept his eyes on that eternal city. The whole time he was on earth, he never found it. He spent his whole life, Hebrews says, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God, and he never found that city here on earth. But he's still going to have it because the Lord gave it to him. And we are still looking for that city as well. That city's not coming till Jesus comes again. But our eyes should be on that eternal city and not this city. This city is for the people to know Jesus Christ, not for what it has to offer us. But if you keep your eyes focused on the Lord, you'll make the right decisions. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you show us by the examples in, in your word how we can be the people you've called us to be. So help us to keep our eyes focused on you, to stay in prayer, to read your word, to know that you've called us for a reason, and to not be discouraged, not quarrel, not get our focus on what the world has to offer, but keep our focus on you. Bless us now as we go in your name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you.